start by welcoming you to Freedom Sunday. And uh, no, it's not July 4th. It is Summer Camp Deliverance Day. <laughs> and this morning we shipped off about 80 of our youth to go just a little bit up the road, about seven hours. And, uh, and so if you're looking around wondering where your friends are, they're out enjoying their lives because their kids are gone. Uh, but don't worry, they'll be back. I also share that with you so you can be praying with me uh, for our kids. See, I don't, I don't think God talks louder to kids at camp. I think maybe we get kids are stripped from everything that distracts them at camp, and they hear God better. So I'm asking that you join me in praying that our kids will hear God better at camp, that they would come back having heard from the Lord and having something transformed and changed in their heart as a result. And if you have extra time after you pray for those kids, pray for those 20 or so leaders we send up with them for their sanity, for their courage and strength. If you've ever gone to summer camp with kids, it is a hoot. Because uh, I don't want to discourage you from maybe being a staff member in our youth. So I'm going to turn my frown upside down and say it's an amazing opportunity and experience. If you want to go next year, talk to Pastor Ken. So uh, the Sunday school song for this week. It's a song I grew up. I learned it in Sunday school, but I heard it most often sung by my mom and my grandmother. It was a song that they sang to me often as a child. And I even received it on my voicemail from my grandmother. She would call when I'm at college, and she would call and sing this song on my voicemail, before it was voicemail, that voice recorder thing, um, and she would sing it. And it's called, Be Careful Little Eyes, What You See. Do you remember that song? I've invited some of my friends to join me up here to sing it. Right. You can always score points by bringing kids up to sing songs. Zane, you can come right up here. Come right front. There you go, Zane. Or, or over there. All right. So, so here's how it's going to go. We're going, when the word says eyes, we're going to cover our eyes. When the word says ears, we're going to cover our ears. When the word says hands, we shake our hands. When the words say feet, shake our feet. No, we don't stomp our feet, but good try. Good try. Uh, but then when the word says tongue, we're going to hold our tongue just for fun. And we're going to still sing. So I want to hear you do it. So will you stand and join me as we sing this week's Sunday school song? Oh, be careful, little eyes. Maestro, will you kill you with it?
fun one. Oh, be careful Zane, thank you, buddy. High five. There we go. High five. Yes. Well, thank you very much. You can be seated. Here's my question, though. Have you ever thought about this? Is that song a threat or a promise? Have you ever thought of that? Is it a threat? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because there's a guy upstairs looking down in love because God chastens those he loves, right? Be careful. The lies what you see, God's watching. Or maybe it's a promise. Oh, be careful, little lies what you see. Man, God has empowered you for so much better. How did you receive that as a kid? How do you receive it now? See, I was kind of taught the song when I received it, I received it as a threat. Anyone else? couple of you, thank you for your honesty. How many of you received it as a promise? How many of you didn't receive it at all? <laughs> so uh, I think it's interesting that how we can hear the same thing but receive it differently. I think sometimes we can see the same thing and perceive it differently. For example, here's a picture up here. How many of you see a tree? Raise your hand. How many of you see a tree? It's all right. This is not a trick question. If you, if you see a tree, uh, tree first experts say that you tend to have a high attention to detail and you're good at reading people's moods. Good for you. Uh, how many of you see two silhouettes facing each other? If you see two silhouettes, you're better at staying calm and working with difficult people. Maybe you're married to a difficult person. I can't remember which they said. How about this picture? How many of you see a duck? How many of you see a rabbit? If you see a duck first, you're thought to be more analytical. By the way, this picture's been around for over 100 years, right? Used by psychologists and people like that. If you see a duck first, you're thought to be more analytical. If you see a rabbit first, 
You're thought to be more creative. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you can jump back and forth between them, if you can see one, then see the other, see one, then the other, that means that your brain acuity is better than average. I'm not going to ask who can do that. I don't want to single anyone out. I think it's interesting that we can see the same thing, we can hear the same thing, but we can perceive different messages. I wonder if the same is true when we deal with sin. When we have in our minds how we should deal with sin, I think some people in their head, man, we need to deal with sin because God's watching and he's looking for an opportunity to love you into shape. I think there's other people who deal with sin completely different. God has empowered us for so much more. And we should desire in our heart to rid our lives of sin so we could be filled of more and more Christ. I got to tell you, I've heard both. My question is, what's the Bible say about it? How should we address sin in our lives? And how should we train up our children and grandchildren to address sin in their lives? Dan, I don't know if you hear a bunch of ringing up here, but I do, so okay. Um, So if you have your Bibles, this is what Paul is going to deal with in Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in Romans chapter 6. I know we were in Romans last week, but let me remind you something of Romans. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome, and it's listed as one of Paul's greatest works, not just because of its theological depth, but its practical wisdom on how to live it out in our Christian lives. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6, where Paul not only addresses the power of salvation, but why it should impact our view of sin. Join me in Romans chapter 6. We're starting verse 8. Where it says this, it says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, when Paul is taking the Romans through understanding how to deal with with sin, the first thing he does is want them to think about the power of salvation. If you want to have a clear understanding of how you should deal with sin in your life and sin in someone else's life, you first need to understand the power of salvation. How I think Paul would say it is, if you want to understand the power of sin, first you need to think about it. Paul says, think about it. If you want to understand how to address sin in your life, think about it. Look how he goes. Verse 8, beginning, he says, now, if we have died with Christ, he starts it very theologically. Hey, we need to go back to the beginning of salvation. If you have died with Christ, you might say, well, Brian, what's that mean? What does he mean, died with Christ? Well, luckily, we have the first section. Look up at verse 3. Romans 6 verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. That term baptism, that term baptized means to fully immerse, to be completely submerged. 
When you became saved, Paul says, you were baptized, fully immersed with Jesus. And when he died and conquered sin, guess what? You participated in that death and conquering sin. Look what he says again. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, fully immersed at the point of our salvation, you've been baptized in his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. When Christ died and conquered sin, you participate. You inherit that work. But he's not done. Look, he keeps going. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It says not only are you baptized and immersed in his death and sharing in the consequences and in the power and what was accomplished when he conquered sin, but you share in the, you're immersed and baptized in his new life. I love how he continues. Look, verse 5, he says then, for if we've become united with him, that term united means we identify with, we are one with, we share the same identifying markers and characteristics that Jesus has when you're saved. When you make that moment of commitment to Christ, receive his powerful sacrifice for your life, you become baptized, immersed. You are surrounded and flooded and completely surrounded by the person of Christ. Therefore, you share in the results of his death when he conquered sin, and you share in the results of his resurrection in his new life. And you are united with him. You are marked by the same characteristics that he is, and look, Paul continues, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, our old self was crucified. A term old self describes the former person, your old life, your previous identity. Sometimes we have this image that there is just a portion of us that is renewed when we're saved. Paul says, no, 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 it's the whole of you. When you become saved, the entire person you were before salvation is gone. Your old self, every part of it is gone. Your old self has been, look what it says, your old self crucified with him in order that your body of sin might be done away with. That term done away with, wiped out, abolished, is just a memory. By the way, done away with that phrase... It's in the passive, meaning you don't do it. God did it. It was done for you. And Paul said, you want to understand our attitude for sin. You have to first think about it. Think about the power of salvation. When you were saved at that moment of salvation, justification, right? Remember that term. At that moment where you were declared righteous, you were baptized, immersed with Christ Jesus. And as a result, you share in the consequence of his death when he conquered sin you shared in that and when he rose again to new life you share with that you're united with christ you share those characteristics those markings your old self was crucified it was a bloody mess it's gone it's dead all of you before you were christ it's gone it's done away with Abolished. Why? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. 
It says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature, not a partly new creature, not a, well, I still carry over some of this old stuff. You're a new creature. The old things, here it is, passed away. Behold, surprise, new things have come. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Man, a power. You want to understand the power of salvation. When you receive Christ, when you at that moment of your salvation, you are baptized, you are immersed surrounded by the personhood of Jesus Christ. And you share in the benefits of his death. When he died, he conquered sin. And you share in that. And when he rose to new life, you share in that. The old you is gone. And a new you is formed. And Paul says, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We'd no longer be defined by that. We'd no longer be driven by that. So my first question I came up with this week. Have you been baptized? I'm not talking about the water baptism. I'm talking about the spiritual baptism. Have you been immersed by the personhood of Jesus Christ? Have you been justified and wiped clean, had your sin dealt with, declared justified before the Lord? If you are immersed and baptized in the person of Jesus, if you are saved, then you share in his defeat of sin and you share in his new life. In fact, Paul says you're united with him. You're one and the same. You share the same characteristics, the same markings. The old you is gone and this new life is born. Have you been baptized? Not have you gone to church all your life. Not did you go to Sunday school and raise your hand one Sunday. Not did you go down at the Harvest Crusade four years in a row. Have you given your life to Christ and allowed his life to immerse you, to baptize you? If you have and you understand what it means, Paul says this should change your perspective of sin. Now let's talk about this baptism. See, the action of baptism, our baptism, is a symbolic act that we make here in life. And it does two things. Number one, it allows us to proclaim our identity. It allows us to proclaim our new identity with Christ. Some people say, oh, Brian, why do we do it in church? Man, that's, Christ proclaimed you. Christ went through all of that to claim you publicly. Man, come before your church family and claim him publicly. It allows you to proclaim and identify yourself with Christ Jesus. That's the first part. The second part, when you go in the water and out of the water, it allows you to experience on the outside what Jesus has already done on the inside. Man, that's the power of baptism. So my first question, have you been baptized? Have you been immersed with the personhood of Christ? 
who defines you and empowers you and rids you of sin and builds you into a new life? And if you have, have you been baptized? Uh, Have you proclaimed and identified your life with Christ and have you experienced on the outside what Jesus has done and will do on your inside? If you haven't, you're like, Brian, I've been thinking about it. I've been wrestling about it. I think it's time that I identify myself with Christ and experience on the outside what he's done on the inside. August 20th, Sunday, Another baptism service. If you're like, Brian, I think I, I want to be baptized or I want to talk to someone more, fill out a connect card in the seat back in front of you. Just put your name, information, check the baptism box. If you just want to talk to one of the ushers, you want to go to the infor- information center, if you want to be baptized, let us know, man. We'd love to do that. Let me say, you might say, oh, Brian, I'm on vacation on the 20th. Listen, we'll baptize you any day. Pick a Sunday, we'll make it happen. If we're too busy for you to come up on stage and proclaim your life to Christ in front of your church family, then we're doing something wrong. You want to get baptized on a Sunday? Let us know. Because this is important. The water baptism is symbolic of what you believe God has already done in your life. You've been immersed and flooded with the personhood of Christ. You have shared in his conquering of sin. You have shared in his new life. Your old self has just been abolished, wiped clean, completely erased, and your new life was born. What a powerful opportunity. Baptism is to proclaim it and experience it. First thing Paul says, you want to understand what to do about sin, our mindset for sin. You have to think about it. Think about what salvation is and what it's done. Man, I wish that I would have had the maturity to read Romans 6 when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid and I was brought up, I was just taught God desires perfection and I just live my life under the burden of recognizing my failure. And every red light I hit is that judgment. Every bad grade I got, every bump along the road, I worried, oh, okay, what's that? Which sin is that God judging me? Man, I had this completely skewed view of my attitude towards sin. Paul says, man, if you want to understand your attitude towards sin, understand the power of salvation. If God no longer condemns you, why should they? If God no longer condemns you, why should you condemn yourself? Man, it's not a freedom to sin more. That comes from a freedom of understanding salvation. You've been immersed. You have, been, you have conquered sin. You've been born again to a new life. Now that we've thought about it and understood the theology of salvation, how it pertains to sin, let's look at what Paul says next. Paul says, listen, you want to understand the power of salvation and how it should influence our lives. If you think about it and understand salvation, this should be your attitude. Next, look at verse 12. Therefore, Paul says, 
That word therefore, an old preacher used to say, when you see the word therefore, you look ahead of it. You look above it. You look before it and say, what is that therefore there for? <laughs> right? I didn't make it up. Don't attribute it to me. Old preacher did it before I did. But you see that therefore. Well, therefore what? Therefore, because of your thinking about it, understanding the doctrine of salvation and what is done in your life, therefore then, because of what Jesus accomplished for you, because of what you inherited, because of your relationship with him, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. I said, pause. Man, there's a lot in there. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That term reign means to have control over, to govern, or to rule. Don't let sin rule your life. Don't let sin direct your path. Don't let sin kind of guide your future. Don't do it. By the way, that, that statement where Paul says, do not let sin, it's actually in the present case. As if Paul is saying, stop letting sin rule your life. Stop letting sin be the characterization of your soul. Stop letting sin run the direction of your life. Stop Stop letting sin be the foundation of your home. Stop it. And let me remind you, he's talking to Christians in Rome. As if it's possible for good people who love Jesus, who identify themselves with Christ, who have been immersed in his death and his new life, who have already had Jesus conquer the power of sin in their life, as if it's possible for Christians to not live in that. Paul tells Rome, if you really understand the power of salvation, stop letting sin reign your life. Just in case you missed it, he restates it a little differently. Verse 13, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. By the way, that do not go on presenting, same thing, stop Stop presenting. That term present or to present means to stand ready to serve. It describes a servant standing next to his master just waiting for an order. Paul says stop just standing there and waiting for sin to direct your steps. That term member, he's talking about any aspect of your life. Your body, your talents, your dreams, your desires. Man, stop letting sin direct your steps. Stop letting sin direct your members, your gifts, your powers, your opportunities of your body to sin as instruments, as tools, as resources, as weapons. Man, sin is not, not just directing your life, but it's using your talents for evil. Everything God gave you for good, man, you are using it for unrighteousness. Paul says, stop it if you understand the power of salvation. If you understand what Jesus did for you, you should live different. Paul says, stop letting sin run your life. Stop letting sin control your gifts, your body, your desires, your dreams, 
Remember Jesus' extreme attitude towards this? Man, if your hand leads you to sin, what do you do? Better to cut it off. That's not me telling you to cut it off. It's better for you to cut it off. Man, that's Jesus' attitude towards sin. Man, if you understand what Jesus did for you in your life, stop letting sin run your life. So I guess the question that came into my heart for me, Brian, what do you need to stop this week? If it's possible for good Christian people who've committed their lives to Christ, who understand the power of salvation, if it's possible for those Christians to still not own that in their life and to practice the very thing they don't want to do, Paul says, stop it. What do you need to stop? What characteristic of sin is running your life? What characteristic of sin have you just allowed to hide in the corner for far too long? What characteristic of sin has eroded your soul, has compromised your family, has jeopardized your job, has sucked the joy out of your life, has compromised your faith or your reflection of God in your life? What do you need to stop? Paul isn't done there. He says, first thing you need to do if you understand, if you think about the power of salvation and understand what it's accomplished, live it. Stop doing that and start doing this. Look what he says. Right? He says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Big biblical but right there, right? I have it circled. Big biblical but. But instead, change of direction. That's why biblical buts are so important and so enjoyable. They dictate to you a change of direction. Instead of doing that, instead present yourself. That term present, same word. Stand as a servant next to your master ready for orders, but it's a different master now. Present yourselves to God. Instead of standing ready, waiting for sin to direct your path, waiting for an impulsive desire to direct your future, instead present yourself, stand at the ready next to God as those who are alive from the dead. And your members, your bodies, your skills, your dreams, your desires, you give those as instruments, as tools, weapons, resources, of the righteousness of God. Paul says, if you understand the power of salvation, stop letting sin direct your steps. Start letting God direct your steps. If you understand the power of salvation, stop letting sin use who you are for its destruction and start using all the gifts that God gave you for his direction. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says, if you understand salvation, if you get it, it changes your attitude towards sin. You don't do it. You don't fear judgment anymore. God's already declared you justified. Why, don't, why do we want to carve sin out of our life? Because you're a new creation. You're a reflection of Christ Jesus. You're an instrument of his 
to be used for his glory and a reflection of his power. Now, you might be thinking what I'm thinking of. Well, that's great, Brian. That's great theology. I just stink at applying it. How do I do it? I want to be honest with you. There are some times where I'm still slave to sin. There's still some times when someone cuts me off on the 241 coming into the 91 rush hour. You've been waiting in that line for 30 minutes and someone puts their blinker on and cuts you off. Tell you what, right there, I'm still a slave to sin. What do we do? I mean, even the Apostle Paul, right? Remember the Apostle Paul says, man, the very things I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do, I do do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Thanks be to God. Paul said, Father, I'm not going to stay there. Father, I'm going to be different because of what Jesus did in me. The Apostle Paul, who I just want to encourage you, if the Apostle Paul still wrestles with not letting sin direct his life, man, I'm not saying it's okay with you. I'm not saying I don't want to condone sin in your life. I'm just saying sometimes misery loves company. You're not alone. I mean, quit hiding it. Let's deal with it because we're called to be better. Luckily for us, the Apostle Paul had a young protege named Timothy. And as Paul was nearing the end of his life, he began to pour in his wisdom, his experience into Timothy as my grandfather did me so that his lessons were not lost. The Apostle Paul gave his young protege, Timothy, some directions, some steps to take. In our last few minutes, I just want to share those briefly with you. Those of you who are clock watchers, I'm going to get you out of here in six minutes. Watch. Uh, you see, you think I don't know. You turn around looking at the clock. I know. I see you. It's all right. I don't condemn you. Jesus doesn't condemn you. Maybe for that he does. But 2 Timothy 2, three steps Paul gives Timothy on what to do. You want to rid your life of sin? Here's three steps to take. Starts in verse 20, 2 Timothy 2.20. Look at what Paul says. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Man, in your life, man, there's some parts that are great. Can we be honest? There's some parts that are horrid. Therefore, Paul says. What's that therefore? Therefore. Because there's rotten parts in your life. If anyone, here's the first step, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. First step, Paul says, you want to be a life that reflects God's glory? You're tired of letting sin run your life? Cleanse it. Cleanse your life. A term cleanse means to purge to thoroughly clean, to throw out everything that doesn't belong. I hope someone's like me in the fact that your garage needs purging. It's my project this week with all of my kids gone. Instead of swim practices in the morning and evening, I will be purging my garage because there's some stuff that's just accumulated over time that doesn't belong there. 
You know what, there's also some tools. I, my father-in-law gave me his old Volkswagen Beetle. I've been trying to fix it up and work on it, and now there's tools laying around the garage floor that could injure someone if they step on it. Man, there's things in my garage that need to get tossed out. There's some things in my garage that need to be put away. This week, I'll be cleaning, cleansing, purging my garage I was thinking this week, I wonder this week if I also need to be cleansing, cleaning, purging my life. What do you need to cleanse? What do you need to purge? What do you need to get out? What do you need to deal with? You're like, you can go to the throne of grace. Look at what the Apostle John wrote, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, look at this. We confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you get the feeling like maybe God wants us to go to him? Not hide it, not bury it, not stuff it in the closet. Bring it out, confess it, cleanse your heart. Man, Jesus, here's the parts of my life that are just eroding my soul. This anger, I can't get rid of this. Man, this jealousy, I just can't stop. This need to control, I can't lose it. This lust for things that I don't have. This love of money. This rage that somehow exists. Cleanse your life. You want to live a life free of sin. Paul says, number one, cleanse it. Step two. He continues, after you cleanse it, I love this one, run. Run, look what he says, now flee. That term flee, run as if you're running away from something bigger than you. Now, I'm not a big runner, but I got an issue with big dogs. <laughs> when big dogs are coming after me, I can run like the wind. There is something when something chases you, I don't care how old you are, you have been empowered. When you are fear of your life, anyone and everyone can run. Paul says, man, after you cleanse your life, you run. Run from youthful lusts. Those, that phrase, youthful lusts, those childish longings that you should have outgrown by now. Paul says, you're better than this. You shouldn't be longing for that. You're a grown-up. You're a Christian. You're a new creation. Man, you need to run from those. When those desires, when those opportunities come, run. Man, there's great runners. That would be a great sermon series someday. Hopefully someone takes notes of these things when I say it. There's a lot of great runners. Joseph ran, you know that. Remember that story? Potiphar tries to entice him, grabs his jacket. What does Joseph do? Run. Man, Old Testament prophets, there's an Old Testament prophet, outrun a chariot. Remember that? Man, great runners. Man, when, when sin is coming, the Bible says, run away from youthful lusts. And look at this, though. Run away from those and pursue Righteousness, pursue, it's a nice way of saying run. Flee means to run away from something. Pursue means to run to something. Run after something. 
Either way, you're running. Either way, you're running. So where do you need to run is my question for you. You want to live your life free of sin. You want to have a life that reflects who Jesus is. You truly want to understand the mindset we should have towards sin. Clean your life and run. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overcome you except something common to mankind, and God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. The Bible says, man, you're tempted, you want to run, God's provided a doorway. Man, run. So many, we, so many times we want to fight. Man, I, I just don't see a lot of fighting in here. Run. That thing owns you. That thing has conquered you for 20, 30 years. What makes you think you're going to defeat it today? Run. Cleanse your life from it and run. Run away from it and run to the Lord. Third thing, unite. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Look at this, end of verse 22, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And you want to live your life with the right attitude towards sin? You need to hook up with some friends who are doing the same thing. I got to tell you, I am a better Christian because of Gretchen in my life. A, because she's just a better human being than me. But second, we share the same mindset. I mean, she desires for me to more and more be free from sin. I had a four-hour meeting with elders yesterday. Sitting there talking about church. First hour, we just circled up and talked as men, ministered to each other, prayed for each other. Man, I've spent 20 years being surrounded by men who love me, desire for me to grow in the image of Jesus and allow me to love them in the same way. And my desire is for each one of you to experience what I have. I don't think pastors deserve anything better than you. This isn't my church. This church isn't about me. This church is about you. So why should I have stuff that you don't get? I want you to have a group of people that love you that you feel safe and cleansing your life with, who will run away from stuff with you and run towards Jesus with you. And if need be, dragging you by the neck (laughs) if it takes it. I say this often, if you don't have a group, if you're like, Brian, I don't have anyone. that's That's why we have Patty. And Jeff and elders, but again, most of us know Patty. I last time said she's like this big, I was reprimanded for that. She's actually like this big. <laughs> Nicest lady you've ever met. But man, as a growing church, it is so hard to make sure that everyone gets connected. That's our heart. We don't want you to get left behind. You need a group. Use a connect card. Put your name, say, I need people. Go to the information center. Worst case scenario, find Patty. If you don't know who Patty is, ask someone else. Just keep asking people. Someone knows Patty. (laughs) 
Yeah, just come and ask Petra. She's right up here. She'll direct you to Patty. Get a group. You want to defeat sin in your life. Cleanse it this week. Cleanse it. Purge it out. Get it all out. Number two, get ready to run. Run from it and towards Jesus. You don't get to stand still. You're running either way. Get ready to run. And number three, don't run alone. Get a buddy. Do it with at least one other person. Be careful of lies what you see. Be careful of ears what you hear. It's not a threat. It's not because you fear God's judgment. You've shared in the riches of Christ Jesus. You've inherited the kingdom of God. And don't be careful what you see and do and say because of fear of God's judgment. You do it because you believe in the power of what Jesus has saved you from. And you believe in the power of what Jesus has saved you for. Think about it. And then go live it. Let's pray. Jesus is a church, man. I, God, I, we've, we are here. God, many of us, because we believe in your power of salvation. God, we're here because we, we need your grace. We need your mercy. And God, many of us, we believe that we have come into a relationship with you. But God, we pray, open our eyes that we can see salvation as Paul did. God, open our ears that we might hear the leading of your spirit. Open our heart that we would have the humility to come before you and allow you to accomplish in our lives what you've already paid for. You've already accomplished it. You've already defeated it. So God, help us, empower us to live it. God, we ask this week, bring sins to our minds that we need to cleanse from our heart this week. God, and out of that cleansing, may you renew our marriages, restore our families, refresh the joy of our salvation, reinvigorate my life as an instrument of yours. God, for people here who have yet to be baptized, yet to be immersed, people here who have yet to receive the power of God in their life, God, I pray, open their eyes and allow them to see you as we do. That we might welcome, that they might welcome your power of salvation in their life. That they'd be declared righteous from their failure, freed from their guilt and their shame. Jesus, as they're confessing their failures, their sins, their brokenness to you, Jesus, I pray you respond as you've promised. You'd forgive them of all of their sins. Declare them righteous. Share with them your power over sin. Share with them your new life. And direct them in their lives of righteousness from this point on for your name's sake. God, as a church, we pray you just continue to grow us. God, we, we have a desire to just be grown in your image, God, that we might be able to rest in your presence, have peace in our relationship with you, communion with you, and that, 
God, that you might see fit to use us. Broken vessels restored by your power and for your glory. God, may you use us for your glory and your power. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.